How many are ready to hear the word this morning? Absolutely. I really want to open up some scripture for you today and uh, something, I just want to keep on the theme that I've been been preaching on about uh, one of the uh, uh, verses I brought out a little while ago is, is, is from 2 Peter 3. What manner of people ought we be? Or how then ought we live? It's, a, it's a, an amazing question that I think we, we've all got to continue to apply to our life. What kind of people should we live? How then should we live? Uh, giving, bearing in mind that one day that we will stand before the Lord, one day this life will pass and we'll enter into a new, a new life. How then ought we live? Giving, and so it's a question that every one of us has got to really ask. And when we ask the question, how then ought we live or how, what kind of people ought we be, it will shape what kind of lives that we will live and it will shape the impact that we, live, that we leave on the world. So Christianity is not just about being good people. But it's about leaving a positive mark. It's about living a life that, uh, that impacts for an eternity. And uh, so I do want to, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm really coming from that, again, from, from that piece of scripture as well. Uh, also from the last time I preached, Pastor Kate, in fact, will be preaching next Sunday. So it's going to be absolutely fantastic. She's just a powerful preacher. And uh, last time I preached, I brought a word out of, uh, about understanding and how understanding is really important. That, that, that even uh, Solomon said, he said, above all, get wisdom, and in all you're getting of wisdom, get understanding. Understanding is not just having information. Uh, when I was at IBM, uh, at the, the research center in, in upstate New York, one of the things that they said was this, they have more information than they know what to, know what to do with. In other words, they have so much data coming in from all their different senses and all the different things that they have out there. They have more information than they know what to do with. So the question was, how do we make sense? Well, how do we understand the data in order for us to make better decisions, in order for us to uh, shape technology? So understanding is really, really important. If you, uh, if you don't understand marriage, uh, if you have a wrong understanding of marriage, you'll find that... Uh, it's going to end in tears, and you find the same with money. If we don't have understanding about how money works, what finance is, what it's not, you'll find that it'll either understanding will either give us, bring us into poverty, or it will bring us into blessing. So I kind of want to understand. I want to open up a little bit more on this, is, and uh, I'm just going to open up on another piece, of, uh, another piece of scripture. But understanding our purpose, or understanding our assignment in life. And uh, if we can gain an understanding of, of what actually we're called to do, what actually we are, our, our lives are called to, to be, especially as Christians, what, kind of, what's, what purpose does our life have? What assignment does our, our life have? It makes all the difference to the type of life that we will live. And you'll find that if we have a, a, a wrong understanding of what we're here to do, you'll find that it creates destruction in the world. However, if we have a, 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 a healthy understanding of our mandate, a healthy understanding of our call both as individuals and also as a church, you'll find that we will be a light into the world. And uh, this is, I believe this is uh, crucial at times like this. And, and I'm going to open up a piece of scripture. Many of you will know it already, but I'll show it in a different light. And you'll see how much it applies to our world, uh, to what we are called to live and how we should behave and how we should live our lives as people. And uh, so many of you will know this, and I'm only just going to open up two verses. Um, in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2. And it said, Now the Lord said to Moses, and this is where God had brought his people out of Egypt, and they were on a journey into the promised land. Most people here would know this story. However, there is one word in this story that literally changes how we read the story and the outcome of the story. One word. And uh, so that's why it's important. We're just going to go over that right now. And 
uh, so obviously none of us here are living in Egypt, so we look at the story as a metaphor, we look at it as a pattern, because what we can see is the pattern uh, repeats all through Scripture, and even in our world today. Uh, you'll see how much it makes sense. So just two verses. Now the Lord said to Moses, send out men to spy the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites, or the land I am giving to you. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. So it says here, and many of you will know the story, that 12, got, 12 men went in there, they came back, 10 gave her a bad report, they all saw the same things. But, they all, but 10 came back with a negative report, and two came back with a positive report. And the obvious question is, for, for the, 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 many of us, when we read that story, think actually the bottom line is 10 people had faith, uh, two people had faith, 10 people didn't have faith. Two pe 10 people were not so good and 12, two people were good. But actually, that's a very, very shallow way of looking at the story. And the question is, why didn't they have faith? Because these were not ordinary uh, men. They were, they were men who, who had already seen the goodness of God. They had already seen the miraculous power of God. They weren't just any random people chosen. No, the Bible says that they were leaders of tribes. So uh, who they were as individuals, who they were as men, they were strong and upright men. They, were, they weren't weak by any means. They weren't, they weren't dumb. They were smart, intelligent people, right? And so it wasn't that they were initially lacking in faith because it wasn't that long ago they'd all seen these miracles happen by God. So the question was, did all of a sudden their faith just disappear or was there something else that is involved in here? Because I don't know about you, but I don't believe that faith can just disappear like that, especially when you can still recall what God has done. And so I want to just open up a little bit for you this morning. It says here, they all heard the same instructions but I believe two had a different understanding than the 10. So here's what it talks about, it's um, what I'm referring to, understanding our assignment, because if we don't understand our assignment, what we are called to do, what I'm called to do, and what we are called to do, will it'll, it'll totally affect the way that we see and why, the way that we behave, and, and, and of course, it, it totally affects the outcome. Interesting, all heard the same instructions, the majority, however, had a completely different understanding. They ended up misunderstanding both the situation and the mission. How did they do so? And the, the, the issue lies in the word spy. And uh, I want to just open up this particular verse for you today. And there, I mean, if you are an English teacher, you'll you may understand. But when you look at the word spy, and if you look at the different translations, one of the things you'll find is many of the translations say, send 12 spies. But actually... It's not actually the correct translation. And, and if you look at the, the New Living Translation, it says, send men out to explore the land of Canaan. And you can see just the subtle difference in two words makes absolutely all the difference. Because when, you, when, I, when I researched this, I, I, I had to ask the question, how could so many people get it so wrong? And this is what I discovered. Uh, when you, look at the, when you look at the Hebrew word, the, the secret is in here, that there are two different words. When you look at the Hebrew translation, there are two different verbs that are used in the, original term, in the original text for the word spy. In other words, the word spy is translated, and it has two, uh, two different words that can be used, two different verbs that can be used. It may seem like a subtle difference, but it makes absolutely all the difference because it affects how you see what you see. Right? So you see the difference in one version it says they sent spies out to, uh, sent men out to spy the land. This version says it sent men out to explore the land. So that the difference is this. The two words they used is this. 
uh, there's one word is, is called Latour and the other one is called Lagral. And so the difference is this. Latour is, is translated as, doesn't mean to spy, but it means to explore or to tour or to, or to suss out or to, uh, to tour the land. And interesting, the word Latour. It means to, to, to tour, to explore it. Uh, and so the other word, Lagral, means to seek fault or to find weakness. And just in the same word, but used in, 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 a, in a different verb, shapes the way that you see, that you, it shapes the way that you look at what you're seeing. Does that make sense? If you go to a place and you are a spy, you are looking for weaknesses. You are looking for faults. You are looking for things to, um, you're looking for weak spots. However, if you go to a place as a tourist, what you're looking for is all the good things. Does that make sense? Can you see then how where one group of people misheard or misunderstood the mission of what they were there for? Because if you are there to look for weaknesses, if you're there to look and, and all you're going to see is weaknesses and all you're going to see is faults, you'll see all the other things, but actually what will consume you is the faults and the things that are bad about a place. All right? However, if you go as a tourist, you're not going there to see all the bad things. You are there to take photos and see the good things. You are there to see the good things of the land, right? And so the thing is, the difference of how you see and your understanding of what you are there to do shapes everything of how you see about a place, how you feel about a place, and subsequently, how then you will act. Subtle difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. Their mistake was they were not there to be spies or critics. They were told Latour not Legrau. Their job was to tour, to explore, to see the good in the land and report back. They were, the, they were to see what was good about the land, not, was, not what was bad about the land. I mean, anyone can see what was bad about any place. You don't have, it doesn't take an intelligent person to see what's bad about any place. Huh? Actually, what, and, and so if you ever see somebody that has a, they, they misunderstand what they're there for, they interpret things wrong and it affects to that completely. Yeah. And so you think their, their job was to tour, to tour and to see the good in the land and report back, not what was good, not what was bad, but what was good. So our understanding of a mission, a thing, a situation, a season will shape what we see of it, our perception, and affect what we do in relation to that. You can see that repeated all through history. You think about what happened to Vietnam and, and, and in the war. People lost sight of what they were there for. They misunderstood the mission because they misunderstood the mission. They saw, things in a they saw things in a different light. They felt things in a different light. And they got disheartened. And a whole bunch of people came back completely messed up. And you can see the same thing repeats all through history. If you don't understand the mission, if you don't understand, if we're not listening carefully, if we don't understand what we're called to do and not do, it'll shape everything about our life. The thing is this. They didn't need spies. God did not say, oh, I've got no idea what's going on in that land. I need you to... He didn't say that at all. That was never God's intention. In Deuteronomy 1 and verse 32 and verse 33, it says, You did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. He'd already spied out the land. He already knew what was there what wasn't there. He did not need to send spies. He does not need to send critics to find out what, was, what is bad. And the same as today. The world does not need a whole bunch of new Christian critics. 
That's exactly what the world does not need right now. The world does not need that. So if they were not meant to be spies, what was the purpose of the mission? If God had already sent, if he'd he'd already gone before them and he didn't need spies, why then were they sent in the first place? Hello? If they were not meant to be spies, what then is the mission, what then is the purpose of their sending them out in the first place? The 12 were sent to Latour to explore and report back on the good things of the land so that the people will know what's worth fighting for. It makes all the difference. In other words, to give them a vision of of the goodness and, and the good things in the land that are worth fighting for. People are motivated to fight for something. Motivation increases when you know that there is something good in front of you and inspires you more to, 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 to go get it. But if, you're, if your understanding is to find the weaknesses into the holes, guess what? It's going to mess up the whole thing. You're going to be overwhelmed with what you see. And that there is the faith journey. Sure, they all saw the good things. They all saw the bad things. However, the lens in which they saw was based on the understanding of what they were there to do. And you can see all through Scripture, and you can see all through the world, and even today, the same thing that repeats. Their task was to explore, to tour, and to explore, to not be spies, and to not be critics. All right? Twelve of the, ten of the twelve men thought they were a story, part of a story of espionage. The result was, listen to this, they looked for the wrong things, came to the wrong conclusion, demoralized the people, and destroyed the hope of a whole generation. Simply because they misunderstand the mission. They, they, they understood they were there to be to find the weaknesses. And you, you can see the same thing repeats. And it's amazing if you have this, like I said, if you have the wrong understanding of something, you will look for the wrong thing, you'll come to the wrong conclusion, I'll say this again, and you'll demoralize people and destroy hope of people afterwards. Interesting, what you see is, just jump through Scripture a little bit, you see that the new te- when Jesus came into this earth, uh, and, and he walked the face of the earth. The disciples, people that walk with Jesus, also had the same issue. Their understanding was that God had finally come. The Messiah had finally come to overthrow the wicked Roman Empire. Uh, it's exactly that. They misunderstood initially the mission of Jesus Christ. In fact, it took them a long time to really click to discover actually what the mission of Jesus Christ is all about. Now, the question is this. Is it possible that if God's people coming out of Egypt, seeing all the signs and the wonders and the miracles that they did, but yet misunderstood the mission, the very same disciples that walked with Jesus personally, that saw the miracles again, also misunderstood the mission. Is it quite possible that the church, even today, can misunderstand the mission of what we're here to be doing? And that we can see the wrong things, we can jump to the wrong conclusions and end up destroying the hope of a whole bunch of people. So therefore, it's important that we gain a healthy understanding of what our assignment is for, what church is for, because if we really, it may be a subtle difference, but the, subtle, the, the bigness of that subtlety, it's kind of an oxymoron, but anyway, it can, it can demoralize a whole bunch of people in our nation. It can rob a whole generation of the blessings that God has for us, simply because we completely misunderstand what the whole thing was about. Here, I'll give you a couple of examples. Like, 
uh, in Matthew chapter, I mean, there's examples all the way through. I'll just give you two. Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus, when Peter had this great revelation about Jesus as Messiah, had a wonderful spiritual experience. Next thing you know, Jesus is telling him, get behind me, Satan. What's the point of that? The, the issue was that Peter completely misunderstood what Jesus was there to do. His understanding was this, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to throw all, overthrow all the Roman soldiers that were given all the people and all the Jews a hard time and uh, all, all the, uh, they colonized the whole country. So we're going to get rid of all these colonialist um, Roman soldiers and we're going to set up a whole new godly government over the nation. <laughs> and it's in that context that Jesus said, no, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine, uh, actually, I thought this is what we're all going to be about. But actually, Jesus had a completely different idea. You see, you see it again in John chapter 9, when Jesus again is walking with his disciples, and they see, uh, they, they see a blind man lying on the side of the road. And the first thing they asked, the, the disciples asked, was this, who sinned, him or his parents that he's like this? In other words, who's at fault, him or his parents? Interesting that the lens in which they saw this person lying on the side of the road was that of a critical eye. Who sinned? All right? They misunderstood the mission. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Neither him nor his parents have sinned, but that the glory of God might be revealed or manifested in the, on, on the earth. And so you see a whole bunch of disciples who had walked with Jesus still misunderstanding the mission, seeing with different eyes, and could have just walked straight past, uh, destroyed somebody's hope. And so the question is this, if it happened for those people, I'm sure, and I can see today, that it can happen in, in for us as well. So for us today, I, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit right now. So for us today, the Christian church, I, I, I want to just open up to see um, how easy we can get it wrong and actually what our mission truly is. And you'll see it in, in the way in, in many Facebook uh, or social media presentations. You can see the mentality of so many. Sometimes you can see it direct, but sometimes it's indirect. You've got to be listening and, and seeing. But one of the things I want to just open up a little bit for you this morning. The Christian church is described in the Greek language as the ecclesia. So this is where a whole bunch of misunderstanding can come from, right? Ecclesia, the church. How do you define the church? Well, the, the church is defined... In, uh, in Greek, is, it's, it's called ecclesia. And the literal definition of that means uh, a governing body. In other words, it means to call out, but it's also a, a, a governing body. And so what happens is people can start to uh, misunderstand what, what we are called to govern, come to a wrong conclusion, and end up behaving in ways that are, are contrary and don't bring hope to our country at all. all right? so, that, so it means a governing body. And it's often misunderstood, and if it's misunderstood, it becomes misused, and, causing, and it causes havoc to a whole pile of people. There's another idea too, um, which I'll open up for you, uh, and it's, it's an idea, it's also a doctrine, it's called the seven mountains, which I'll open up for you. But so you have an idea that the church is called to be um, a, a, a governing body, and there's a whole bunch of scriptures that people can see and interpret as actually, well, therefore, we are called to govern the seven mountains. We are called to, there's all these seven beasts in the earth that they all need to be conquered, and it's the church's job to rise up and to conquer and basically be the head of all these mountains of society, all right? And so you get a, a mentality which comes across or an understanding that sits in a whole bunch of people thinking, actually, we're the ones to be sitting at every head, sitting at the head of every table uh, of 
of, of, of society. There's a problem with this. It's never worked. It's never worked in history. I'll open up for you this. You can see this mentality today, and even in regards to the election. You can see, and I'm not, hear me, I'm not bagging any party or, or anything like that. But what I am saying is this, when you see the language, when you, hear the, when you see the written language or hear the, the oral language, you'll see that um, there is an idea of dominionism. So what, it mean, what I mean by that is this, that we are, I mean, the Bible says that we are called to rule and reign with Christ, right? The Bible does clearly say that. But it's important that we gain a healthy understanding of what that actually is and when that will take place. Because if we misunderstand that, actually what happens, we end up becoming a bunch of critical Christians that are absolutely useless to no one. Right? It brings no hope at all to the world. Right? So it's important that we gain a real healthy, because if we understand our true mission, we will be people that can bring hope to the world. So you have a whole bunch of ideas like the seven mountains. You have ideas like um, the gut, this governing body. But, and especially what happens is it gets into a place of uh, uh, unbalanced extremes. So you, you, you can see in our society, you can see amongst many Christian voices today the idea of, of, of dominionism, basically which means this, whether through political activism or other means to have Christians governing non-Christians. In other words, the ideology that many people have, is, or many, follow, many Christians have, is that we should be the ones governing the government, that we should be the ones governing the banking system, that we should be the ones governing this, we should be, in fact, we should be at the head of every single table of society. Jesus never said that. Huh? In fact, that was the same mentality that Peter had when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. His idea was that these guys were going to be seated at the head of every table. They were going to be sitting at the government, government tables. They were going to be the ones calling the shots for the nation. And Jesus said, no, it's not that at all. Hello? He said, that's not that. My, my kingdom is not about that. Not yet. I'll say that again. It's, it's not about that. It's not yet. And so it's important that we understand, you can see that in many, and even, like I said, even in political parties, that oh, we're going to take over the government, we're going to overthrow all these things, and we're going to set up a new kingdom, a new government, and it's going to, say, wait, 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 wait. Is that really what Christ has called us to do? I'd say, I'd suggest not. Interesting that God's purpose for our dominion mandate was not to rule over humans, but to rule over the creation order. God said, let them have dominion over the, over the earth, not people. Over creation order, over animals, over the environment, all those sorts of things. But not people. And so the idea of that we should have dominion over people, actually, I believe, comes from a fallen nature. You can see again that in the, in, historically in the Bible. And you can see that in, with people's insecurity. When people are insecure, when they don't know their assignment, they'll try and find dominion over other people. It comes from a whole bunch of things. I won't, won't go into that right now. But we are authorized by God to maintain order in the earth. The desire to rule over other people comes from man's fallen nature. And this continues to be a driving force in the world today. You can see it everywhere. Uh, if, uh, even look back in, um, in the Dark Ages, for example. Think about the Dark Ages. Interesting, it's called the Dark Ages. 
But you think about what happened there. The church basically overruled the state. The word of priests was as law. It was when the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, effectively ruled the whole of the Western world and under, and it controlled nearly every aspect of civil life. Parish priests held sway over small towns and communities. Cardinals and popes could bend kings and nobles to their will. Essentially, what you see in the world today, there are a whole bunch of Christians in the world exactly wanting that back again. The question is, is that the right thing or is that the wrong thing? Is that what God really called us to do or is it not what God's called us to do? One of the things that you can see is that in that age, sure, the church ruled a whole bunch of people, but actually, it actually enslaved a whole bunch of people. And whenever, this, historically is this, that whenever the church as such was in that place of absolute overall power, there was a whole bunch of pain underneath it. So therefore, for us to have dominion in every sphere of society, natural society today, cannot be the cannot be the mandate, cannot be the call of God that he's called us to. Here is another one. If Jesus' intention was to take dominion over the seven mountains, why then did he choose tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen as his early witnesses? Why, why did he not call the, the most highest of, uh, highest of the um, society? Why, why not call them? If the goal was to have an earthly dominion, and for us to walk in that earthly dominion right now over all the mountains, why then did he call the broken? Because the, the dominion was, that he was talking about at this time, in this age, was not about over all of that. It was not about having dominion over the banking system. It wasn't talking about having dominion over the education system or anything like that. No, his kingdom was of a different kind at that stage. And I believe that we are still in that age where the kingdom of God he's talking about is about in our heart. It's about in our heart. So so Jesus said, he's clearly said in in the scripture, he said in Matthew chapter 5, that we are to be salt and light in in the world. That's influence, that is not dominion. There's a big difference between having dominion over something and having influence in something. Right? It's one thing to have dominion over something, and historically Christians have never really been that good at it anyway. Right? I know some people that are, you know, they can't even govern their own home. They can't govern their own visa card. They can't govern this, and yet they want to have governance in these places. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do that, such a thing? So it's important that we get a really healthy understanding of what our assignment is and what it's not. And so Jesus called us to be salt and light in the world. That's influence, not dominion. So where are we then supposed to be having dominion? Because it's not that we're not called to have dominion. Let me make it real clear. We are called, the first place we are called to have dominion is this, our own internal life. Our own internal life. In other words, the first place we are called to rule is in our own heart, in our internal life. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32, he who is slow to anger is better and more honorable than the mighty. And he who rules and controls his own spirit or his own internal life is mightier or more honorable than he that captures a city. So in other words, is it more honorable to be in a place of government where you're calling the shots? Or is it more honorable that you're a person that has dominion and rule over your own internal life? I mean, you can see that in politics right away. (laughs) No one wants to do that walk of shame and that speech, oh oh man, I'm so sorry. I mean, we've had enough of that. 
You and I are first and foremost called to have dominion over the issues of our heart. Second place you, are called, you and I are called to have dominion is this. The Bible says in Luke chapters 10 and verse 19 to 20, Behold, this is from Jesus, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall my by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject or under your dominion, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So essentially, we're called to have dominion over our internal life. And two, we're called to have dominion over spirits that torment people. Hello, are you with me this morning? So next time you, you listen to podcasts or listen to social media things about how we're going to take over the earth and we're going to overthrow this government, ask yourself this question. Is this really of God? Is this really our call? Or is it not? Is our call something different? Is our assignment different? Because if we misunderstand what our assignment is, we'll see that we'll be looking for the wrong things, we'll come to the wrong conclusions, we'll end up making the wrong decisions and destroy the hope of the whole generation. Let me assure you, that day of dominion will come. Just not yet. That day of dominion will come when Jesus Christ returns again. And that day, he will call those who have had dominion first and foremost in their internal hearts, in their eternal life, and dominion over other things, over the demons and whatnot. Those people will be called to then rule over the earth. So, yes, it will happen. It's just not now. So let the focus of now be on getting dominion over your own heart and understanding what you and I are called to do here and now. See, the pattern again, again is taking place. Just as the Lord went before the Israelites people to search out land to prepare places, Jesus himself also said in John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said he has gone before us to prepare a place just like he did before. In other words, where is Jesus? Well, he's gone before us to prepare a place. That day will come when he returns. Our job now is a different mandate. Our, our, our mandate is not to try and take dominion over things, except our own life and our own and, 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 the, and demonic spirits. So, so what then are we called to do? I want to come back to just what I brought out to you the other day is uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. We saw that the, it's a metaphor of the life of God or, or, or essentially what we, you and I are called to do. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture that describes something. It's a picture that illustrates a flow or a movement of something. So the first thing we see in, in Ezekiel chapter 47 is there was an altar. There was, a coming, there was an altar, right? And, and water came from the altar. Symbolizes this, that there's, a, there's an altar collectively that we have together, the altar that we come together here and worship. There's an altar that we individually we build in our hearts, a place of sacrifice. It's a place of an exchanged life. It's a place where we lay down our life, we sacrifice our life, and we uh, in exchange for the life of Christ. So, uh, I mean, essentially, that's, that's essentially what it is. But then there's a river that comes, and it comes out from the door, and it flows. And as it flows out away from that altar, it gets wider and it gets deeper. And where it flows, there are banks on every side, and there's creativity, and there's a whole bunch of new things happening. And where it flows, there is healing until it meets the sea. I mean, that's a picture. 
so, so essentially what that is a picture of is this. It's not a picture of us having dominion over the world. Absolutely not. It's a picture of the life of Christ, the life of God inside of us individually and the church flowing through us, flowing into the world. Now let me understand, let me break down how then that connects to that, what's called the seven mountains. So I'll just, just so it's really simple for you. Um, I need it simple to understand because if it's too complicated, I'll get lost. So seven mountains is simply this. You might hear it. It'll come from um, other references in the scripture where you see a beast with seven heads and this and that and the other things. So it gets interpreted that these beasts are the beasts of the earth that represent the seven mountains. So without going into too common, so people jump to conclusions about then these mountains are beasts that the church needs to conquer. It's not that at all. Not that at all. Let me explain. So what are the seven mountains? One of the things you describe, so the seven mountains are simply this. The seven mountains is just a framework for identifying the different spaces of our world or society. So when Jesus said, go into all the world, what's he talking about? Simply, in a nutshell, seven mountains simply puts a framework up to describe what he taught what he's meaning by the world. So, so let me unpack what they are. The first one is religion. In other words, uh, the, the, um, the worship of a deity. So when you think about all the religions in the world, so religion plays a big part in the world. So, so, so religion is one of them. Family is another one. So family is another, another one of the mountains. Our community is based on family. So that the family unit uh, is what upholds community. It's what makes up community. So family is, like a, is identified as a, as a mountain in itself. Um, business is another one. Business is another space of, of society. So if you think, again, if you look at the world, you can, just, you can see how it's encapsulated in different spaces, the, 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 world, the religion, Christian world, whatever, the family world, the family life, what goes on in the family space, uh, the business space, what happens in the business space. The business is another a whole entire space again. Uh, uh, another one is government. Uh, again, I'm not going to unpack them for you, but it's important to understand the actual the role of the actual role of government and what it's called to actually do in our society. Not, again, that's a whole different style, but, it's, but politics or, or, or government, it's a whole different space of our society in itself. Uh, education is another, uh, another one of the mountains identified, which you look at the, the education space. I mean, that's a whole space in itself. A bunch of teachers here, and uh, you understand that actually education can be a beast in its own. Um, uh, sports is another one. You look at how sports, there's the sporting space. That's, the, that's another environment. You, you look at how much it, make, how much it in, involves so many people. It's how, how much of an influence it has on society. You can see it's, it's a space in its own. People dedicate their lives to sports. People sacrifice family for sports. So obviously sports is a big mountain of influence. And the, and the seventh one is arts or the entertainment. You can see how much of an influence that is in the world today. So one of the things we see, that's when, when, when Jesus said, go into all the world, he's saying, or you are the salt of the earth, the light of the, light of the world. That's essentially what he's talking about. All those spaces, all those seven spaces. And he's not saying go and have dominion over and, and be and have Christians over every, leading every one of those spaces. He's not saying that at all. What he says is this, we are called, so, 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 the, so the goal is this. What then is our mission? The goal there is twofold. I want to just conclude it shortly. One, the goal is to follow Christ. 
the goal is to follow Christ. The goal, first part, part A of the, of the twofold goal is this, is to follow Christ, is to be a disciple of Christ, is to follow him, not follow entertainment, not follow the media, not follow any of that, is to follow Christ. Jesus calls us to follow him, to become disciples of him. See, our number one mission, our number one goal in our, in our life is to become like Christ, regardless of what's going on. Like in the midst of, uh, of a hostile Roman uh, colonization, where they'd crucify people for, for little things, it's in there Jesus said, you are the light of the world. <laughs> you know? He's teaching people how to be Christ-like. And so our first and foremost goal was to follow Jesus. Is to, uh, that's why there's an altar is the first place, because out of that altar become, flows everything else. So the number one goal is to become like Jesus. <laughs> Regardless of who's in power and who's not in power, regardless of the economy's doing this or that, regardless if there's a blue, red, white flag, doesn't really matter. Regardless of anything else, the number one priority is that you and I become a follower of Jesus, that we dedicate our heart to the Lord. Huh? Regardless, that we learn to live as Christ lived. It's not that hard. <laughs> number two, we are called to be salt and light, to bring fresh water, to be influential. Not to try and obtain worldly dominion or try and Christianize the world. <laughs> Come on. It's not what we're called to do. We're not called to try and get dominion over the banking. We're not called to do that. We're not called to overthrow this wicked government and put this new Christian government. That's not what we're called to do. <laughs> Wherever did you read that in the scripture? Who told you that? <laughs> it's not so. It's not so. If it was so, it would have been clearly laid out in Scripture. It's not so. People misunderstand. The mission is not to try and Christianize the whole world, get everyone to say, sorry, Jesus prayers. It's not going to happen. Hello? (laughs) Think about it. Salvation is in the Lord's hand, absolutely. The bottom line, if we all try and take over government, there are people that are trying, trying to do that. They can't even manage their own lifestyle first. How can they? It's not going to work. We are called to be the salt and the light of the earth. In other words, we're called to be an influence. We're called to bring fresh water into the space of entertainment. We're called to bring fresh water into the education system. We're called to bring fresh water into families. We're called to bring healing and fresh water into government. We're called to bring fresh water, be our salt and light and influence into the education system. Not try and dominate it by any means, but we're called to bring fresh water, to bring healing to it, to bring our influence into it. No wonder get, people get sick of church because they, Christians misunderstand their purpose. They end up becoming critics. I tell you what, the world does not need a bunch of angry Christian critics. God, oh, I'll just go fishing. Not one bit. What the world needs is for us to understand our mission is one, to be Christ-like, to dedicate our lives, to allow them to work in our heart, to to have dominion over our own soul, our own emotions, to follow Jesus Christ, then to let that flow out from that altar that we've built in our heart, to be a bring fresh water, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring, that's what will motivate people, that's what will draw people, that's what will heal the world, not trying to criticize, not trying to find what is wrong with the world and come to the wrong conclusions. Ah. That's not what the spies were there for. They were there to Latour. They were there to see what was good, to see what was worth fighting for. 
See, it's worth fighting for. Sure, they saw bad things. Of course, Jesus saw the bad things. But he made a decision. He knew his mission. His mission was to bring hope. His mission. We are called to see the Latour of the world, to see what is worth fighting for. That is what Jesus did. That is how he saw the world. He saw the world as a. He didn't come to see. He didn't say, oh, this. Oh, should never have come here in the first place. No, he didn't do that. He came to bring hope. He came to bring life into the world. He came into a dark world to bring hope, to resurrect people's lives, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring life, not to bring criticism. God. Jesus did not come to the world to criticize it. He did not come looking for all the wrong things. He came looking to find that which was lost. He came to find that which he loved, to restore it again. And if we as Christians could understand that our mission is no different to that, not to criticize the world, not to criticize the prime minister, not to criticize, it, not to criticize. Who needs that? Our goal, our, our mandate is to first get a hold of our own life and second, to carry the life of God, to bring fresh water, to bring life, to see what is worth fighting for, to see those kids. If you're a school teacher here today, if you're a principal here today, friend, I want to tell you, you don't just a manager of a school. My goodness, you are a, a you're a guardian of a whole bunch of beautiful young lives. You're a guardian of, 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 of eternity. You are a guardian of something absolutely beautiful. See what is good inside of them. Honor you today if you're a teacher, principal, whatever. Gosh, that amazing job. Your role is to bring fresh water. Your role has an eternal value. Don't just see yourself as somebody who just sorts out naughty kids. <laughs> No, no. you hold people's eternity. You hold people, young people's identity in your heart. You hold a great responsibility, and we honor you for that. Amen. Business people, you hold families in your heart. You hold people's hopes and dreams in their heart. You create life for people. You create opportunities for people to gain a living. You, you, when they lose a job, people lose hope. For business people, especially when it gets a little bit tough, you know, you're, you're dreaming, you're believing. It's not, and, and the effect is not just so you can buy a flash boat or anything like that. It's that you carry the responsibility of many families. You, you carry the responsibility of, um, of what's happening in our community. Farmers, the same thing. You look at many farmers today, again, and business people. What they, when they see their cows, you know, it's kind of like, oh, the heart goes out to them, you know. What people in our community need is to, as Christians that will see hope, that will see and inspire people, that encourage people. Take them out for a coffee. Encourage the teacher. Encourage the principal. Encourage the businessman. Encourage the politician. Now, if you need to hold them to a kid, there's nothing wrong with challenging, but in the right spirit. Primarily, we, we're there to be the salt and the light of the world. We're there to bring fresh water. We are there to bring good news, to stand up for what is right, not be a mob of angry Christians finding fault everywhere. Sure, there are going to be battles, without a doubt. Did Joshua know that? Yes, he did. Did Jesus know that? Yes, he did. But he emphasized, actually, it was all worth fighting for. It's all worth laying down our life for. Because people are valuable. Our world is valuable and our world is beautiful. There's so many great people out there doing an amazing job. Tell you now what the world does not need is <laughs> Christians trying to take over the whole world and trying to rule the whole flipping thing. It's not going to work. <laughs> A goal, again, one more time. 
Take dominion over our own heart. Take dominion over spirits that torment people, not people. Take dominion over the things that the sicknesses, diseases, torment. We're given that authority. We can do it. You can do it. We are called to bring life into this world. The real need is more ministers in the marketplace, not in the pulpit. The real need, the real need is for people in the business world to say, I'm a representation. I'm here to bring fresh water into the community. I'm here to bring fresh water into the business world. For, for people that are in education, I'm here to bring fresh water, to bring life into these young kids, not just to the kids, but to the teachers and also to the families. For if you're in government or politicians, I'm here to bring fresh water into the government. I'm here to, uh, this fresh water will clean out some of the salt water and, 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 it'll, and it'll produce life yeah. in the family space. You know, I'm here to bring fresh water. In the church, you know, not everyone's called to stand up here, but there will be people that will have it in your heart. Come bring you fresh water. <laughs> but you'll feel it in your heart. You'll, you'll know what you're called to because God will position you in that place. You won't need to try hard for it. It'll already be there. Huh? Our goal is to bring fresh water. Our, what, the, what our world needs now is more Esters. People standing before the king and appeal on behalf of people. What our community needs now is Daniels that will stand in government and bring understanding and bring revelation and bring wisdom. What our church needs, what our world needs is more Josephs that will will help make sense of come come up with strategic economic plans that will keep people from falling into poverty, that will keep people from starving. That's what our world needs. Wherever God has placed you, Always remember, you're an ambassador. First and foremost, allow God to work in your own heart. Two, be a channel of the river of God. Don't listen to those people trying to take over the government. It's not going to work. Something will come up, and next thing you know, oh, God, not another Christian doing a dumb, stupid thing. What the heck is wrong with these people? (laughs) I'm messing with you a little bit. But I pray that today, that God will use you powerfully wherever he has placed you. I pray that his presence will flow through you. I pray that today that you will be a vessel of hope, that you'll be a vessel of fresh water, that you'll be the salt of the salt of the earth, the light to the world. I pray that today that you would not have a critical spirit, that you, are, that you would understand what your mission is there, that we would see the good in the world, that we would see what is worth fighting for, that we would see what's worth laying our lives down for. I pray for, even for the, family, for the fathers and the mothers here today. I pray that today that you would lay, as you lay down your life, as you build family, that you raise sons and daughters. I pray that you would do it with all godly wisdom. I pray that you wouldn't just be self-centered and have your life focused on your own little thing, but you'll be aware that you are raising up a generation of people that will influence our society. So every mum and dad, I bless you today. Every school teacher, I bless you today. Business people, I bless you today. May you be the light of the world in Jesus' name.